final segment we were talking in the first segment a bit about some pr issues and i must say i was dismayed to see the cover of the sacramento bee last uh, tuesday november 29th that showed a photograph of uc davis students occupying dutton hall the caption of the picture described the students listening to nathan brown assistant professor of english who lectured from the stairs about socialism and marxism Caption noted that protesters there and elsewhere also interrupted the UC region's long-distance meeting. You know, I, I don't know that if I personally can think of anything worse for what seems to me to be a legitimate protest movement than to be having someone photographed sitting on the steps talking to students about socialism and Marxism. I don't suppose it was intentional, but I know if I really wanted to marginalize these protests, I would, uh, I would put, you know, a professor up there talking about Marxism, implying that uh, a bunch of leftists, a bunch of malcontents, a bunch of hippies, a bunch of loafing college students who ought to be out there studying or getting a job are the ones protesting. It creates a bit of an image problem. Does a professor have a right to speak at a group? Absolutely. Should he? Yeah, they should. People, There should be an expression of various ideas out there. Well, Mr. McMillan, I, I know you heard uh, some of the coverage on, on this event, which went out over KDVS. So I ask you, do you think this was framing the whole issue in a way that was less than optimal? Well, the part I heard was just a discussion on capitalism versus socialism and questions about the two various systems. Well, we've said it before in this program, and I think we'll say it again. The second you start talking about isms, people's eyes are going to start to glaze over. We've been looking for a term that describes these kind of words that are, that are, that are sort of shapeless, meaning different things to different people. Words that are incredibly imprecise. Words that are trying to d describe a vast uh, amount of phenomenon with uh, one label. Words that are trouble with a capital T. So I think uh, we need to coin, coin a phrase on this program. I don't know if it'll do as well as Catch-22, but we need a word that describes words that send conversations south. So here's one possibility. We're going to call them nebulose. Let's spell it N-E-B-U-L-O-S. Nebulos, words that are like clouds, shapeless, hard to define. I think it's a pretty good metaphor, actually. A cloud, you can look up and see a cloud. It's got a shape. It exists. It's up there. But it's very hard to define exactly where those droplets start and where they end and what the actual shape is because it's changing all the time. So we're going to start using that term every time we come across a phrase that just is a, is a deal breaker in terms of intelligent conversation. And since UC Davis has been part of the National Occupy Wall Street uh, movement story, we need to talk about this. I was quite intrigued by the editorial, Sunday, November 22nd, by Stuart Leavenworth in the Sacramento Bee. It was titled, UC Davis Incident Reminds Us That Words, Images, Have Power and Can Be Misused. Commenting on the pepper Spray incident, Stuart Leavenworth said, UC Davis Chancellor Linda Katehi initially said she was saddened by what happened, but that wasn't strong enough. 
By Sunday after the event, she had to take full responsibility. That's in quotes. Take full responsibility. And UC President Mark Udorf issued a statement saying he was appalled by images of University of California students being doused with pepper spray and jabbed with police batons. Noted Leavenworth, Udorf's statement seemed bold at first, but critics quickly began to parse it. Was Udorf only appalled by the images he saw? Video images that created a public relations disaster for the university? Or was he appalled by the police action itself, but couldn't bring himself to say it? The media's choice of words also came under attack. Zach Whitaker, a British writer who authors the iGeneration blog, faulted reporters for using the word incident and referring to the pepper spraying, which he said seemed to trivialize it. In his blog post, he'd used the term attack. Body language became an issue. The image of Lieutenant John Pike with his pepper spray quickly went viral, cropped into thousands of pieces of famous art, and Pike's casual demeanor was part of the reason. Wrote Scott Herbold, columnist for the San Jose Mercury, this was not a cop who was threatened. He didn't spray in anger or desperation, but in disdain. And his sheer coolness, the stride, the relaxed angle of his arm, reveals the fundamental unfairness of the moment. Noted Stuart Leavenworth, in an editorial that Monday, the Bee became the first major California newspaper to decry the police action and question claims by UC Davis police chief that her officers had little choice but to use pepper spray. Yet, the editorial had a guarded tone, partly because of unanswered questions about Katehi's role. We also had concerns we might inflame the situation at UC Davis. Several people criticized us on Facebook and elsewhere for not being harder in that first editorial. The B needs to take a tougher line, one commentator said. The video clearly shows both the UC Davis and police at UC Berkeley brutally attacking peaceful students and faculty protesters. This is what a police state looks like. It's a good piece by Mr. Leavenworth. I recommend you check it out. That same day, in a section called Through the Lens, Police Action, the Bee published several photographs of seemingly casual pepper spraying of protesters. They quoted a Gary Reed as saying, while searching last week for photos of students at UC Davis being pepper sprayed by campus police, it was startling to find other incidents of what seemed like the cavalier use of pepper spray by police. Over four days and four separate incidents, police unleashed a lot of oleoresin capsaicin on students protesting tuition increases in Long Beach, Occupy protesters protesters in Portland, Oregon, and even an 84-year-old woman at an Occupy Seattle protest. And as is sometimes the case, a little bit of distance from the story seems to sharpen up uh, some of the reporting. Piece by Naomi Wolf, available on the Guardian website, is worth quoting from. Noted Naomi Wolf, but just when Americans thought we had the picture, referring to uh, the various photographs of pepper spraying, she noted the picture darkened. The National Union of Journalists and the Committee to Protect Journalists issued a Freedom of Information Act request to investigate possible federal involvement with law enforcement practices that appeared to target journalists. The New York Times reported that New York cops have arrested, punched, whacked, shoved on the ground, and tossed a barrier at reporters and photographers covering protests. Reporters were asked by NYPD to raise their hands to prove they had credentials. When many dutifully did so, they were taken upon threat of arrest away from the story they were covering, and penned far from the site in which the news was unfolding. Other reporters wearing press passes were arrested and roughed up by cops after being falsely 
informed by police that it is, quote, illegal to take pictures on the sidewalk, unquote. She noted later, the picture darkened still further when Wonkett and WashingtonBlog.com reported that the mayor of Oakland acknowledged that the Department of Homeland Security had participated in an 18-city mayor conference call advising mayors on, quote, how to suppress, unquote, Occupy protests, said Naomi Wolf. I noticed that right-wing pundits and politicians on the TV shows on which I was appearing were all on message against Occupy Wall Street. Journalist Chris Hayes reported on a leaked memo that revealed lobbyists vying for an $850,000 contract to smear Occupy. Said she, message coordination of this kind is impossible without a full court press at the top. This was clearly not simply a case of freaked-out mayors, city-by-city municipal overreaction against mess in the park and cranky campers. As the puzzle pieces fit together, they began to show coordination against Occupy Wall Street at the highest national levels. She noted later, I was deeply puzzled as to why OWS, this hapless, hopeful band, would call out a violent federal response. That is, she said, until I found out what it was that they actually wanted. The mainstream media was declaring continually, Occupy Wall Street has no message. Frustrated, I simply asked them. I began soliciting online, what is it you want? Answers from Occupy. In the first 15 minutes, I received 100 answers. They were eye-opening. The number one agenda item, get the money out of politics. Most often cited was legislation to blunt the effect of the Citizens United ruling, which lets boundless sums enter the campaign process. Number two, Reform the banking system to prevent fraud and manipulation, with the most frequent item being to restore the Glass-Steagall Act, the Depression-era law done away with by President Clinton that separated investment banks from commercial banks. Number three was the most clarifying. Draft laws against the little-known loophole that currently allows members of Congress to pass legislation affecting Delaware-based corporations in which they themselves are invested. Said Naomi Wolf, when I saw this list, especially that last item, the scales fell from my eyes. Of course, these unarmed people would be having the crap kicked out of them. You may wish to read the full piece on the internet. By the way, the opinions expressed by Naomi Wolf, like all those on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. One final item on today's program to refer you to is uh, the article in the Sacramento News and Review by Nick Miller about the accidental journalist. UC Davis sophomore Thomas Fowler was the person who took that pepper spray video. The article by Nick Miller describes how uh, Mr. Fowler had just gotten off work when he saw something unusual. Dozens of UC Davis police marching across the quad equipped with riot gear on a collision course with campus occupied protesters. He ran over to join onlookers and got out his iPhone. I started taping once I saw the officer getting the pepper spray cans ready, said Fowler, who was but feet away when Lieutenant John Pike began showering students with orange chemical gas at point-blank range. He continued filming as activists huddled together in a row, covered their faces while onlookers shrieked. Fowler posted the video on YouTube at 4.18 p.m., and it was quickly popular. By the time he went to bed... It had 6,000 views. When he woke up, though, things had blown beyond his expectations. By noon Saturday, the eight-minute video had more than 250,000 views and was already on CNN.com. The New York Times and most major websites, like the AP and other national outlets, were contacting Fowler, asking for permission to use the video and its images. 
The clip was the lead story on the Huffington Post. By Monday, more than 1.3 million viewers had watched his original YouTube video. That's not to mention the worldwide audience who saw it on TV. A writer for The Atlantic compared the video's influence to the Tank Man photograph from the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests. UC Davis techno-cultural studies professor Bob Ostertag, who writes about the media and politics, goes so far as to say that Fowler's YouTube clip will transform U.S. law enforcement policy. It's going to become an iconic image of police violence in America, he argued. Ostertag also blasted traditional media and the university's initial condoning of police violence, saying if there are people in the administration who don't see the magnitude of sending robocops to chemically assault peaceful students, then they need a reality check. I would note that KDVS has been covering this story avidly, a lot of times with live broadcasts of the protests. I hope that we can pause and take a breath and have a rather dispassionate look back at, uh, at, at these unfolding events. Hopefully that our general manager, Neil Rude, will join us on the program next week to do exactly that. And anyway, we don't, want to, we don't want to end on too heavy a note for today's program, or probably any program. This is an important topic, and we needed to talk about it a bit, but let's just close with this item. Writing in Bloomberg Businessweek, Suzanne Woolley noted that there is a digital land grab underway thanks to Occupy Wall Street. Internet domain registrar GoDaddy.com has sold 5,200 domain names with Occupy in them from September to early November, compared with just 80 from January through August. People have snatched up everything from Occupy Boston to Occupy K Street. There are sites dedicated to White House hopefuls Occupy Herman Cain and holidays Occupy Hanukkah and various locales Occupy the Sea, Occupy the Universe. There's Occupy This and Occupy That. There's Occupy You and Occupy Me. I guess, Mr. Moylan, we're going to have to get a hold of Occupy Radio Parallax. And I think that about wraps it up for today's program. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Jeff Hudson for finally talking to us and Robin Fox for talking to us again. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We will see you next week at the same time. As Dean Adele used to say, and he's no longer using it since he's apparently off the air, be well. <laughs>